0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the SE Podcast. I'm your host, David Hargett, but today we have a very special episode. It's a bonus episode, in fact, and I'm gonna be passing over hosting duties to the very lovely Sabrina Lee, and today she'll be interviewing Lucy Zhao, who graduated the University of Michigan in 2015 and has had quite an interesting career spanning a variety of industries from consulting to tech to banking, but she ultimately realized that her heart lay in entrepreneurship. The startup scene has always fascinated her, and she's been heavily involved in it ever since her time at Michigan. As you know, part of the mission of Sigma Eta Pi is to help cultivate this entrepreneurial ecosystem. So we thought it'd be a delight to bring her in and share some of her insights from all of her world travels and experiences. Over the last year and a half, Lucy has spent her time working in a Ugandan startup known as Safe Boda. that began as a ride-hailing app, but has recently transformed into an all-in-one platform for everything from mobile banking to ride hailing, to food delivery, and so much more. And this experience is just one of many upon which she draws for her insights and advice to any young entrepreneur out there who's aspiring to explore and work for growth stage startups, creating positive impact in the world. With that, I give it up for Lucy and Sabrina. Please enjoy.
1: Before we start, can you share a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Um, So I graduated from U of M in 2015. And when I was there, I studied business and English. And yeah, I loved, I mean, I loved Michigan. (laughs) I'm sure many listeners to your podcast also feel similarly. Um, When I was on campus, I, you know, discovered this group called Empowered Entrepreneurship my freshman year. Mm. Um, and that's how I got involved in the startup scene at the time. I think the organization was probably like five or six years old. um, and I would say that startups were not as popular as they probably are today. <laughs> um, many people, you know, after they graduated were not at least what it seemed to me were not necessarily thinking about starting their own business. So I was kind of, I would say maybe... Beginning ish of the trend. Now it seems like everyone wants to work at startups, which is exciting. Um, But yeah, when I was a student, we were kind of the one, one of the few student orgs on campus that was really focused on that. After I graduated, I spent two years working at McKinsey in consulting. uh, And then I moved to San Francisco and just got involved in the startup scene. So since then, I've basically been working at startups or I also started my own company. Um, and, you know, as you said, most recently that journey took me to Kenya, which is where I was living for the last year and a half. And I was basically the chief commercial officer at this company called Safeboda. It started as Uber for motorcycles based in East Africa. Uh, And I joined right after they raised their series B and we're transitioning into becoming a super app. So I helped them launch food delivery, grocery delivery, and fintech products
1: wow that's really really cool but I'm, I'm really curious actually um you have so I, I was reading through um some information it seems like you were you were involved in different industry you were involved in banking industry as you mentioned uh I, you didn't mention but I was looking it up um <laughs> and also um with Google and McKenzie so like what ultimately leads you to I guess like Found your own company, and how the, and also what leads you to safe Boda,
2: because yeah.
1: it's a international international jump. Um, yeah,
2: cool, great question. Yeah, so, so when I was in college, I had always wanted to live and work abroad sometime in my twenties, and I participated in a couple of like U of M study abroad type programs, um, and I even started an organization my sophomore year that was working specifically in Kenya on social entrepreneurship initiatives. So through a connection to a doctor who was teaching at the time, um, at the U of M medical school, he actually had connections to this very specific town in Kenya called Meru and he had been going and doing like research trips there for the past like 10 years. Um, and I happened to meet him and we started discussing this opportunity to kind of bring entrepreneurship as well. Because one of the issues that he had, you know, seen over his time traveling to Kenya every summer was that there was a lot of young folks, like high school age students who couldn't get into college. Um, and so there was a lot of these young people who were talented, who were smart, who were too educated to go back to maybe subsistence agriculture which might have been what their parents were doing, but not educated enough to get a job, um, a good paying job. And so they were kind of just not doing much. And that was something that I think both of us were like, oh, well, we, how do we solve this? And I kind of brought the perspective, like, well, if they could start small businesses themselves, um, I mean, that's one way to employment. And I mean, at the time I knew very little and I still know very little about the Kenyan educational system, but I I think one of the differences between their system and like maybe the US one is that in the US, you know, we're encouraged to kind of be creative and like think of ideas. And I think theirs is probably more similar perhaps to China's where it's like, here's the information you need to know Like make sure you know it for the test. But not as not as around like, and you also have ideas that are valuable and you can actually create those things. So a lot of what we were doing was just, you know, working, having direct one-on-one relationships with some of these students that he connected us with. I, you know, got a bunch of U of M students together Mm -hmm. and we would help them kind of coach them to think in a more entrepreneurial mindset about the potential business ideas that they could own and operate. So they might have an idea to like create an ecotourism company, for example, or to manufacture, you know, lip balm from beeswax <laughs> um, or to raise chickens. You know, and we kind of talk them through like, OK, well, like how much money would you need to like start that? How would you think about how to answer that question? Where would you get that money or investment potentially from? Um, you know, h- how do you think you're going to run your business the first year? You know, like what kind of resources are you going to need? Who might you need to help you? Um, what are the risks and how do you mitigate those risks? So that was something that I, you know, was interested in, you know, very early on in college. And I always knew that once I graduated, I would at some point try to live abroad and eventually definitely had an itch to scratch. That was to like start my own business. So, so yes, while I did in college, many different internships, you know, I tried investment baking. I did work at Google for a summer. Um, and then obviously I also did consulting. Um, I always knew that like what I was passionate about at the core was like the startup scene, trying my own thing um, and probably also doing work abroad. So that's why, you know, in the last six years, I've kind of <laughs> done a variety of things because I wanted to see like out of all those experience, what was the best fit for me and like what would make me the happiest.
1: Right. That. I feel like that's really important to really value what you are happy, like, and go with it. I think that takes a lot of courage. And and that's really awesome that you're doing all these, like, different type of works and eventually uh, reach to where you are right now. Um, but how about, like, Safe Boda? How, how did the Safe Boda come into the picture? You know, and uh, we have a lot of connections, but what leads you there?
2: Yeah, so Safe Boda, I was introduced to them originally through one of their investors. Mm-hmm. so. You know, when I was living in San Francisco, everyone there is kind of starting a company or like <laughs> an investor. It's really, I mean, it's it's a really cool environment to be in. It's very inspirational because so many people are doing the startup route that it, you know, it feels normal. It's not, it doesn't feel like this huge crazy risk, like <laughs> since everyone is doing it. Um so you know, even through the process of starting my own company, I met a lot of people in the industry. Like I met a lot of investors, I met a lot of other founders. And it was through one of those connections that I introduced to the founders of Safe Boda, and you know since I was actively looking to like move abroad you know you know I talked to them and it obviously sounded interesting I mean it's always a cool opportunity to like yeah. find a like later stage startup right like you know already a very well established in a different country right. and what really convinced me to join was I visited them at their headquarters in Kampala Uganda mm-hmm. uh, in the spring and in Kampala, motorcycle rides are the most popular form of transit. So, a million motorcycle rides happen every single day in the city, and you know it's because of traffic gridlock. Other than motorcycles, you really can't get around. Um, and you know, there's not as much traffic laws enforcement, so it's kind of chaotic. Like when you get there, those streets are packed full of these bikes that are just like weaving, you know, through the streets and when I got to the airport and like we were driving into Kampala, I was really amazed because like immediately you could see the impact of safe boda. Um, all of these drivers had this like orange branding. They were wearing orange helmets, their passengers had helmets, and they had these like orange reflectors that you could just like see the impressive like <laughs> pervasiveness of this like B2C company already. I feel like in the US, you don't really See that as much right because even the uber is everywhere it's not like uber cars all look the same <laughs> and there's a sea of uber cars um so i, I definitely thought that was really impressive that like in the last five years they had managed to really like get that much market share um and Safe Boda, the initial mission that the founders started with was it was really like a social enterprise mission they wanted to equip drivers with safety gear and safety training to try to reduce the number of motorcycle related injuries and deaths that happen every year, because it's definitely not you know, the most safe form of transit, even though it's very necessary. Um, and so those reflectors, those helmets, like prior to Safeboda really entering the market, drivers didn't have them. Mm. They often wouldn't even have a helmet for themselves and like definitely not for the passenger. And so it was through like Safeboda setting up a loan program where we would give you the equipment and then drivers would pay us back as they did more and more rides and earned income. Um, that like created the world that I first saw, you know, when I visited Kampala in 2019, in the spring.
1: Wow, that's actually really cool to see the impact um, that the company brings in. So that that's really, really awesome. Um, but I mean, you, you are, obviously you've been to been to Africa in the past but how was the transition from working because you mentioned you were working in San Francisco with your own startup company how was the transition from working in the states to like all across another continent in Uganda
2: yeah yeah great question so there's <laughs> there was a lot of both i would say lifestyle yeah. changes and obviously workplace changes i would actually say on the workplace front um, I felt, you know, even in my first visit there, um, the same kind of startup energy that I had experienced in the Bay Area, as in, you know, Kampala at the safe boat office, like uh, people were hungry, they were looking to move fast, to grow quickly, to iterate quickly. I mean, that same kind of core tenets of, you know, what people who are attracted to startups, you know, they like to put a bunch of hats on. You know, they're not worried about breaking rules. They want to move fast. They want to learn fast. Definitely the same types of attitudes and motivations um, in the folks that Safe was employing. Um, I would definitely say from a lifestyle perspective, there was a big shift. I mean, so I moved, yeah, from San Francisco to to Nairobi, Kenya. So Safe is headquartered in Kampala, Uganda, but we we operate in Kenya, Uganda, and Nigeria. Um, Kampala itself is like basically... a very small. I mean a small village, like there's the same couple bars that everyone goes to, the same kind of few restaurants. Um and everyone is incredibly friendly. I mean it's like a very tropical climate. So yeah, people are laid back. (laughs) They're not as like hustle bustle, I would say, as like my experience in New York or San Francisco. Um and I moved there with my partner who is now my fiance. So I think that was very nice to have someone, you know, going through the journey with me and and not being alone in that. But um I met, you know, incredible people, like both both expats who had moved there for very interesting reasons. I think kind of the people who self-select to move to Kenya or Uganda are like, you know, driven by different things than most people. Um and like amazing kind of folks that I met through work who then introduced me to their friends and like got to like you know be a little bit a part of more of the local scene and like understanding you know what it was like to actually maybe have grown up in Kampala or um, or in Nairobi um, and so through like the fact that i was working at a local company i mean it definitely made the experience amazing cuz you know it was not so insulated i think probably if i had just gone to work with a bunch of expats you know i maybe i would have had a very insulated experience but i felt like you know i had that but i also had this amazing network of people that i would have never met otherwise if not for the safe photo connection
1: that's really 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 cool to have that cultural experiences as well as everything else as a whole package um and going back to like your experiences with your own startup in san francisco how did that come about and you know, like, because you juggle through different hats, so to speak. How Mm -hmm. how was that uh, experience for you?
0: Yeah,
2: so basically, after I left consulting, I moved to San Francisco to join a Series B company to work in a startup. And it was basically my first professional, like, operations experience, right? Because in consulting, you're making PowerPoint decks, you're making Excel models, but you're not really doing the actual implementation. Um, And this was an experience where I got to manage a team. I was responsible for a P&L. I had targets that we needed to hit every month. And it was all about execution, right? Like, of course, like you need a plan, but just having a plan is not enough. It's about like, how do you actually get it done and and work with actual people, right? Who need motivation, who, you know, are trying to do improve their careers themselves um, to accomplish a goal. So I had an amazing experience doing that. um, And the company was called Easy Home and I worked there for about a year and a half. And when I decided to leave, I was looking for like the next highest growth thing I could do, which at the time I knew I wanted to stay in startups. So that the options were join another startup, probably do a similar type of role, maybe at a little size bigger of a company or a different industry or potentially start my own thing. And I thought that doing my own thing, it was one, something I'd always you know wanted to try. Two, I thought it was the highest growth thing because... You know, that's the only time when you can really experience what is it like to do everything from the ground up, right? Like if you're joining a startup, a lot has already been done. Like they've already raised money. They've already hired their first few employees. They've already kind of set their culture. And I wanted to get the experience. and Like how do you, when you're responsible for that, <laughs> like how do you do that? Um, and my co-founder, she actually also went to the University of Michigan. We met each other there. We were both a part of Empowered Entrepreneurship. So we had had some experience working together and she was looking to leave her job at Amazon. She was a PM there. Um, so it was good timing. Like I felt like I had this great co-founder who I've worked with, who I've known for like, you know, seven years at that point. Um, and like, I'm, I'm just in a place where I like feel excited to like do my own thing to leave my job. You know, even if it doesn't work out, it's quite low risk for me. Like I can always, you know, either try something else or go back into the workforce. Um, so those were the main reasons why I was like, it feels like a, the right time, kind of try my own thing. Wow,
1: that's that's really, really cool to actually like find the right people. I think that's important in the startup uh, scene, mm-hmm. to have the right people, the right team, have the great experience and navigating through everything. Looking back, um, what do you think, what has helped you with your entrepreneurial like startup journey? Of course you mentioned, M. Empower as a, as, mm-hmm. as a huge chunk of your college experience. But, like, what do you think? Anything else that really helps you just to kind of learn more about maybe startup or anything?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, like, I think the best way to learn about startups is by doing it, <laughs> either joining one or starting your own. Um, and I think, like, there's tons of great resources. I mean, Empowered Entrepreneurship is one example. When I moved to San Francisco, I also got involved in like Y Combinator. I like, you know, they have a bunch of free resources online. You can participate in their program called Startup School where they like will assign you a coach. So, as we were starting our business, like my co-founder and I we applied for that program. We met with a cohort of, you know, other entrepreneurs every week and like a Y Combinator alumnus who would, you know, advise us and even by the end like you track your progress every week. Are you growing every week? You know, and then they uh, pick a few people to give a grants to, right? So we were fortunate enough to get actually $10,000 from Y Combinator just by doing this program and like both learning from them and like keeping ourselves accountable to keep, to hit like weekly growth goals. So I think that's super useful. Like basically if you're going to try to start your own company, you want to make progress ASAP, right? Like you don't want to be in a position where you, because it's really easy to justify to yourself. Oh, I need like, I don't know, two months to like build a product (laughs) or before I build a product or talk to a customer, I need some money in the bank to, you know, so I have a safety net, but that's not how you're gonna be successful because you're just delaying the inevitable question of like, does someone actually wanna buy your product? (laughs) Does it actually solve a problem? And actually those other steps are nowhere near as important as answering, are you solving a painful problem? Do you have product market fit? Mm-hmm. the sooner you can answer that question, the better off you are. Um, so even if you have no money, even if you have no product in the beginning, totally fine. Like, how can you find a problem that is actually painful and convince some people to give you money for it, even before it's like a perfect product, right? Like, how can you just make some designs or make a really basic MVP um, that someone can see and touch and be like, okay, yes, I, I actually would buy this, even, even in this current state, like I am willing to be an early adopter Um, and I think those are lessons that like of course there's tons of startup books that tell you that (laughs) Um, but then when you're actually doing it uh, or joining a startup you you realize the trade-offs that you have to make right like oh it feels really risky it feels really ambiguous to do that but ultimately I think what most founders will tell you is like to be successful like I mean raising money is great like there's all sorts of fancy stuff you can do but ultimately it's just about like. Do you have a product that will fulfill a need for somebody?
1: Wow, that's, that's a great, great insight. Um, I'm curious, from your experience, being in the startup yourself and seeing these companies booming or growing, or maybe sometimes not doing so well from the beginning. From like in, maybe someone just, for example, somebody who are in college, they may have mm-hmm. some ideas. What should they do to really help their ideas move forward?
2: yeah yeah cool so i think if you've got an idea that you're excited about i would really like try to understand what is the specific problem you're solving Mm. and how can i talk to as many people as possible who i think have that problem Mm. and just get on the phone or in person (laughs) after COVID is over and and ask them like okay i think that this is a problem but like what tell me your perspective right like would you do you actually think this is painful like Oh, maybe you do a little, but like, is that something that you would actually pay for? Um, If people are kind of telling you like, oh, like, yeah, I mean, maybe it would be nice if I had this thing, right? That is your idea. But, you know, it's not something that I like really think about that much, or it's not something that I'm like, wow, I would, if I could snap my fingers, if I could pay you $50 and make that go away, like, you know, they don't seem that excited. And then, then I would say like, you need to dig deeper. You need to figure out like, what is the actual pain um, if there is one, right? Um, and I think as a student, you know, even if you don't, you're not working on your startup full-time, right. you can do that research anytime, all the time, right? People you meet who are, you know, when you're ordering a coffee, like people just like always be like trying to gather data um, because in the beginning, you just, you have to do it qualitatively. You just have to do as many interviews as you can and talk to as many of your potential customers as you can and ask them, you know, non-leading questions to try to really understand, is this a problem for them? Would they pay for it? And then if you get to the point where you're like, yeah, actually I've talked to, you know, I've talked to 50 folks and like 90% of them are like really into this. Mm-hmm. Then I would say, the, I mean, try to deliver on your, Promise, right? Like if it's, even if it's like something that you're like, oh, but I need to build an app for this or whatever. Um, can you mimic the app before you even build any technology? Can you just do it really manually? Um, I'll give you an example, like for our business. So I, I started a company called Honeydew with my co-founder. Um, we were basically a wedding, uh, vendor marketplace. So similar to Stitch Fix, couples would fill out a style profile. So, just a questionnaire. And then we would take their answers and use those in our back end to match with vendors, such as a caterer, a photographer, a florist. Um, So, it would be basically personalized recommendations. The alternative was that customers would themselves have to go on Yelp um, or other sites where there's like florists and wedding vendors and do the research themselves. And the industry itself is still very old fashioned so a lot of these small vendors you know small caterers you have to get on the phone with them you have to email them to get a quote maybe it takes a couple emails back and forth you maybe have to wait a few days for them to get back to you and imagine that you're doing this for you know 12 different vendor decisions because you have to book all these different vendors and for each vendor you don't just contact one person right Like you probably are contacting maybe at least five because you're trying to compare like who's gonna give me the best price and who's the best fit for my preferences. So all of that adds up to a lot of time, a lot of manual work in Excel, in Google email that you're like compiling yourself. Right. And so for couples who, I mean they all have, you know, many of them are doing other things. They have full time jobs. This is not their main job to wedding plan. Um it just takes a lot of time. And often that that work falls on, you know, at least in our experience, it falls on the woman in the relationship um, because them, you know, they tend to be the one that's like, okay, well, I've always had a vision for my wedding and this is what I it to be. Or it's just the default. Like the guy doesn't, you know, he's not that interested. Um, and so the problem we were trying to solve was really like, how do we reduce the labor for these women in particular? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if our product was essentially, if you pay us $200, we will do all the matching for you. Right. And so the vision, of course, long-term was to have a data product that it would be automated. You would fill this out that would match, you know, with our algorithms in the back end that would say, okay, like based on this, here's your top three photographers. Here's already their pricing customized for your specific needs of your 150 person wedding based in New York, let's say. Um, And you just get to pick, right? Like all the information is there in front of you. But of course you can't start from there, right? Like we started from day one, I mean, we planned the weddings ourselves. we never planned a wedding before. To run a wedding planning business, we needed to get that experience. So literally my co-founder and I, we learned how to plan weddings. We got our first customer who was also a Michigan alum, oh, you know, my. and that's why he trusted us to do it, even though we had no wedding experience. And we planned his whole wedding. Um, and we did all of the research manually because we needed to understand how do you do that. And that's how we started building our database by collecting all this information. Um, And we launched our product with really no engineering and we were able to launch it in a few days because literally i just built a squarespace website um, that said we had this product and there was a link to check out and if you paid for it basically in the back end it was me my co-founder and a very small team that we hired from upwork of contractors who were based in eastern europe uh, who would plan the weddings so we would just do all of the matching we would contact You know the 10 venues ourselves and wait for their responses uh, and we have the time to follow up with them because it was our full-time job and that's how we did our first couple weddings before really building any technology um to see if people actually felt they had this problem and were willing to pay for it so there's a ton you can do with very little resources it's just about like making sure you have a problem and then in the back end doing whatever you can to get the job done so we used lots of off-the-shelf software. We use Squarespace for our website. Uh, We use Airtable for our backend uh, and we use Zapier, which is a software tool that like ties things together. So as soon as we would get an order, our Zapier account would send that, you know, an immediate email confirmation to our customer. That was not something we built. I mean, we're now in a world where tons of software already exists. Like you don't have to build everything. and there's plenty of ways that founders who aren't technical or don't have engineering skills can still build a very basic MVP to prove their concept.
1: Wow, well, that's actually really, really cool. I was actually just watching a video and then it was sponsored by Squarespace and I, didn't, I never heard about it before. And it's just really cool about the features they offer and everything. Um, but overall, I'm curious, like my last question um, as a UMICH uh, alumni, what advice would you give to someone maybe when they want want to pursue a startup career internationally?
2: Cool. Yeah. I mean, so startup careers internationally in particular, (laughs) I would say (laughs) like,
1: or in general, in general, like a career.
2: So I think like one, uh, there's not as many international startups as I Uh would say, you know, in the U S that are open to like having an American person with an American work situation coming, right? Because obviously there's visa, you know, questions, there's a lot of complications there. I'm sure many immigrants who want to work in the US face the same issues, probably even more because our immigration policy is not super liberal. Um, So I think that's something to be aware of, right? Because startups by definition are early stage companies. They often don't have a ton of resources or a ton of money. They might not be ready to kind of, Sponsor someone's visa or make that kind of commitment. Um, so I do think like there are ways to get around that, but I would say like set that as an expectation because if you're looking for something really early stage, maybe that will if, if you're still wanting to do that, come at a cost. like maybe you won't get paid as much or or maybe uh, you want to look at something later stage where like you know they've got some money, they're already established. they're at the point where like they need to hire higher level people those are the kinds of companies that might be willing to sponsor a work visa. Um, If you're trying to join a really early stage thing, maybe that's not the case. Right. Uh, I also think it depends on what your skill set is. I think if you're an engineer, especially with like today's world, you could probably work remote. Right. So even if you want to like work in the US and work and you're really passionate about issues in, I don't know, Eastern Africa. Right. Uh, You could probably find a startup that you're like, well, I'm just an engineer. Like I, I could contribute to whatever you guys are doing, even when I'm here anything that you can do to be flexible, I think helps the startup. Um, if you're more of a business person and like what you need to do probably involves being on the ground, if you're doing like, you know, real operations work, um, then, yeah, I mean, I would say for me, it definitely came from connections. So like the more you build your network the more people know, you know, the kind of work you do and like what you specialize in, they're going to like refer you out, you know, as people in their network are looking for people who fit your description, like it's to their advantage to be like, oh, I know someone like I can help you. Um, If you don't have a great network and you're just starting out, like you just graduated and you know, I'm, you know, you're super interested in moving to Thailand and working in Thailand, for example, I would say just do it. Like there's very little risk, you know, in your early twenties, like Mm -hmm. even if you're making no money for two years, like hopefully that's okay depending on your financial (laughs) situation. But you always, I mean, I think it's like important to like the experience right so even if you're moving to thailand to do something unrelated like teach english or work in an ngo but you want to move to a startup i mean being on the ground is the best way that you're going to know what's going on right like you're going to meet people who maybe can introduce you to people or you're going to just hear about startups that are growing or doing well um and then of course if you just want to work at a if you just want to work abroad there's also tons of big tech companies now right like it's not just google and facebook anymore like Gojek is a great example, like a lot of innovation in Southeast Asia. I mean, those are the Googles of those regions actually, right? So like all of these ride hailing, super app, Meituan, like, these are <laughs> cutting edge like businesses that I think some people in the U.S. haven't heard of, but they are huge, they have resources. I mean, it's not gonna be the experience of working at a startup, but if you just wanna like experience what it's like to work in that culture, right? Cause even if you move to a startup later, that's gonna be valuable. Like a startup is gonna look for someone who has the skills they're looking for, but another bonus is if they've already worked in that environment or if they can speak the language or if they know what the cultural nuances are, right? And so that's another way you can make yourself more attractive if you have some experience in that region.
1: Yeah, wow, that's, that's awesome. Honestly, that is, that's really, really awesome to learn from your perspectives and your experiences navigating through the process. Um, with that, we're gonna wrap up our session.